Hey folks, Ned here. Over the past 25 years, I've talked with thousands of parents of high school students, parents who care deeply about their kids' education and how they deal with stress and the pressure to succeed. But these parents need to work with a team they trust won't just pile on more pressure to achieve better grades and scores. This is why I started Prep Matters in 1997, to create a different kind of experience for test preparation, tutoring, and college admissions planning. This podcast and my books reflect our company's philosophy and approach to helping students. If you have a high school student and would like to talk about putting in place a plan, please get in touch with us. Visit our website at prepmatters.com or call 301-951-0350. That's 301-951-0350. Thanks, and now back to our show. The difference between us and the animals, if a zebra is being chased by a lion and it escapes, if stress hormones normalize in 45 minutes. When we're stressed, we can keep stress, high stress hormones for days at a time, weeks at a time, months at a time, longer. And so I, I think to move in this direction of being a non-anxious presence mean in part that we're going to be more adept at handling really hard things when they do happen. And we do this in part by practice, and it's by developing practices, including practices regarding the way we think, practices for throwing off stress, for self-care. Welcome to the Self-Driven Child Podcast. I'm your host, Ned Johnson, and co-author with Dr. William Stickstrude of the books, The Self-Driven Child, The Science and Sense of Giving Your Kids More Control Over Their Lives. And what do you say? How to talk with kids to build motivation, stress tolerance, and a happy home. When things are hard and feelings are hard, one of the things that we as parents and educators can do that's most helpful to little people is to, as best we can, move in the direction of being a non-anxious presence. It's not easy to do, particularly when things are as inflamed as they are right now. And this is the week after the attack on Israeli settlers by Hamas. I don't know when you listen to this, but it's a lot going on right now. So we wanted to talk about what we can do to be a non-anxious present, why it's so valuable, and what are practical things that all of us can do. And it may seem a little blithe to talk about this when I'm really far away from the goings-on on the other side of the world, but it's when things are most hard that it probably has its most value. I'm joined today by, of course, my dear friend and partner and scribe, Dr. William Stickshrude. We're going to talk about a non-anxious presence, a concept that we introduced in the self-driven child and followed up with a language of a non-anxious presence in our book, What Do You Say? I'm Ned Johnson, and this is the Self-Driven Child Podcast. Hi, Bill. Boy, what a week. Yeah. Again, I feel like, oh my gosh, it almost feels, can I even talk about this when I know so many people who have such closer connection to the nothing but terrible things that are going on. And so it is hard to watch and one of the things that it seems to me, we don't want to turn our back on it, but to be mired in all the while is it's just, it's a lot. Yeah. But before we jump into kind of what we suggest for folks, do you want to just talk about this idea of a non-anxious presence, where you stumbled on this and, and what we mean by that? Yeah. Years ago, one of my friends turned me on to this guy by the name of Edwin Friedman. He's a family therapist and a rabbi. He studied systems, including family systems and the way schools work and churches work and organizations work and corporations and synagogues. And he did a lot of consulting in, in these various organizations. And he concluded that any organization from a family to a corporation, they work best 
if the people in charge are not highly anxious, and at least chronically anxious, and, and emotionally reactive, uh, where they can communicate courage as opposed to fear. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's a really lovely goal. And in both our books, we encourage parents to think about the wisdom of moving that direction, of being a non-anxious presence in their family. It doesn't mean never feeling nervous. It doesn't mean never feeling anxious. It just means moving that direction of, as you say, Ned, throwing off more stress than you take on and learning how to, to look at life in a way that you can see, that you can, what you model for kids is a courageous attitude. And confidence that I can handle hard stuff without becoming emotionally overwhelmed. So certainly, when parents are calm, kids are calm. When kids are calm, parents are calm. Yeah, it's the way the way families, you know, all, all systems work. As we know, all emotions are contagious. In the first book, we emphasize that stress is contagious, including our stress that our kids pick up, and vice versa. In the second book, we mentioned that calm is contagious, which is the I one of the mantras the Navy SEALs. You have to go into to, to, to really war-torn areas and try to calm things down. There's all kinds of reasons why being a non-anxious presence is really good for kids. But there's also a lot of reasons why it's really good for us as adults too, exactly. as parents and grandparents. I made a TikTok the other day about some of these points and the comments have been really interesting. And a lot of folks saying, I, I can't get into that in my head, and I can't stop watching, and I can't stop thinking about it. And, you know, and by its, its nature, anxiety is fearful thoughts, fearful thinking that we often can't let go of. And my head goes a little bit too, because we always talk about a sense of control, and then to pick up a point that, that you talked about there, being a non-anxious person doesn't mean that you're never concerned, upset, anxious, alarmed. But doing it in a way, being able to pivot over to, and I can handle this. And I admit, I may have a brain that's a little bit peculiar, but for as long as I can remember, I've rehearsed in my head just all kinds of terrible things, car crashes and accidents, just all kinds of stuff, including when I would dream. And it would almost always end with, and here's how I would navigate out of miraculous, and of course, they're in dreams for one's own mind, but how I would navigate out of that or how I would be able to handle it. And it seems to me that we can anticipate fearful things, terrible outcomes, and then just rehearse disaster, or we could have the similar situations and rehearse how we would handle them. And it seems to me that's the added point that perhaps allows us to be less anxious if you have the sense in this terrible situation, there's something I could do that's constructive or in this terrible situation, I could handle it even if it's just emotional. Yeah. So many of the parents that I work with, Ned, just have a lot of anxiety about their kids because I only see kids that they're having problems. Mm. I, well, occasionally, I'll see a sibling of somebody who just doesn't seem to have any problems, but they just want to find out what they're good at and what's hard for them like that. Yeah, yeah. But I only see kids if they're struggling in some ways. So parents are almost inevitably worried and with some parents, I say, what I want you to do is to, to think about what's the worst case scenario here and the work, work towards making peace with the worst case scenario, meaning would I still love my kid a thousand percent? Would I still do everything I could to support him? Would I be as motivated as I possibly could be to get any kind of support or help if they needed, yeah. even the worst case scenario? And inevitably, parents say, of course I would. And when I used to do therapy, I used to ask the question, 
if you weren't really worried and upset about this, what are you afraid would happen? Mm. The parents would inevitably say either that it would prove that I'm a completely, I, I lack compassion and I lack empathy for people, or that I wouldn't do everything I could to help. I wouldn't be motivated. And I'd say, are you saying that just out of love for your kid, you wouldn't be motivated to do everything you could, even if you didn't worry all the time? Then I, I'd say, are you really saying that if, if you weren't worried about this specific thing, you could you'd be completely lacking in empathy? They'd always, see, they'd always realize that's crazy. The other formative experience for me, Ned, was very early in my career seeing this parent of an eighth grader, grade third boy who was, who was mildly depressed. And the dad started crying and said, this should be the happiest time in his life. And then, then he started crying and he said, I just want him to feel good about himself. And I said, respectfully, I think we can more convincingly help him feel good about himself if we aren't worried sick about anxiety or sorrow or, or even grief in this situation. Many people with relatives in Europe or I mean, in Israel, grief is important. The, the right. sorrow is important. You know, anxiety, as you said, we would, if we didn't have anxiety, we'd be dead. It's part, of, <laughs> it's part of the fight or flight. It's the flight part of the stress response. Right. You know, we talk about the fight or flight response. The flight part is anxiety, avoidance. We stay away from things that make us stress. We, we need it. Right. But the difference between us and the animals, if a zebra is being chased by a lion yeah. and it escapes, if stress hormones normalize in 45 minutes, when we're stressed, we can keep stress, high stress hormones for days at a time, weeks at a time, months at a time, longer. And so I, I think to, to move in this direction of being a non-anxious presence mean in part that we're going to be more adept at handling really hard things when they do happen. And we do this in part by practices, by developing practices, including practices regarding the way we think, practices for throwing off stress, particular self-care, that allow us to be to not be overwhelmed. And, and before, before we jump into some of the things you suggest, yeah, yeah. I want to circle back to two quick points that you made. One, thinking about parents who are worried sick about their kids and, and you're helping them realize that they could let go of that fear about their kids and still be motivated to do everything that they could. That's right. It's just because they love them. But my kids were both spend too much time at Children's Hospital and you walk in there and think, every single kid in here is sick or really sick. And some of these kids are not going to have good outcomes. But to be as effective as they are, the doctors and nurses over there have to keep a certain equilibrium. And yet they've made it their careers to care about and care for sick and, and injured kids. Yeah. When I think about what's going on in Israel and, and Gaza right now, I think that it's possible to hold a balance where we can both care deeply but we don't jump into the deep end of the pool and feel things as intensely as everyone else might be. Attending to things that are scary, either on your phone or on TV or even just in your head, and thinking about that all day long to have your brain and your nervous system bathed into just a constant stew of cortisol is not going to do good things for you or anyone else. So one of the things that I suggested is that people literally schedule time to worry. Meaning, let's go and look at the news when we get up in the morning or nine o'clock for coffee break, or, and then again at lunch, maybe again in the evening. But to schedule times to, to worry that, lest you find yourself thinking about or obsessing about it every minute of every day, because that drip feed of cortisol is not too good for brains, is it? 
It's not too good for brains. No, it's uh, over a prolonged time. No, it does bad things to brain. But it's a really beautiful point. And when I used to do therapy, very often, I'd recommend to prescribe worry time. Hmm. Because the, the stress irks on our brain are constantly alert for danger. If there's something that, that we're worried about, we, aren't, we evolve, we stop thinking about it. Because our brain doesn't know the difference between a sick kid, for example, and a predator. If you paid attention to something other than the predator, you'd be eating. <laughs> so we evolved to not be able to turn yeah. our back on the threat. And yet, one of the ways that we can take, we develop a sense of control, which is exactly what you suggested, is by, by saying, healing my brain, I'm not going to turn my back on it. I'm going to look at this again in three hours. But right now, I'm going to focus on this other stuff. It's safe for me to focus on something else. You know, another thing we talk about when the inflows of stress are not balanced by healthy outflows of stress, everything bad in the world happens from too much drinking to violence and just every stress, anxiety, depression on, on and on it goes. And in addition to script, scheduling time to stress, it feels to me like there's real value in purposely scheduling, in this case, increasing times to de-stress, right? More than anyone, I know you may be the paradigm of, of a person who schedules time and th things that are productive, that productively de-stress you. Yes. And I mean, I had the experience of flunking out of graduate school the first time I went because I was so stressed and anxious and <laughs> insecure. I didn't turn any work in for 20 quarters. When I work with under underachievers, I say, I went 20 weeks, turned into nothing, top that. <laughs> uh, I was desperate to be more functional. And when a person I was living yeah, with said, if there's anybody on this planet who needs to learn to meditate, it's you. So I learned transcendental meditation when I was 23. And, and within a couple months, my foot stopped tapping. This facial tick I developed went away. I could sit and read for two hours at a time as opposed to 12 minutes before I had to distract myself. And so I really... And, and I was young enough at the time that with dad, and I, I didn't have kids. And so it's it easy for me to, to make it a priority in my day twice a day. And so I've done it twice a day for 50 years. So for me, I mean, I, we have this crisis of mental health in children, teenagers, young adults, the old crisis of loneliness. And these are all stress-related problems. Mm. And if we just slept more, if we had more resources for, if we were more regular and exercising or meditating or doing whatever we do, this world would be completely different. I don't have 50 years of meditating because I would have been free when I started. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I've been doing, I don't know, it's been a decade anyway now. And, and to your point, I am about as protective of my sleep almost as I am of my children and exercise regularly and, and meditate. When I think about that, it's moments like that when things are really going south in a hurry or going sideways as they were. You know, I'm 500 miles away from my kid and what, you know, it's like, okay, so what can I do? What are our choices here? And you, you, you sure want to be more helpful rather than less and be able to think more clearly rather than less. And I am grateful to do that kind of preemptive work to have a stress system that can handle things when, when they, when they get more intense. So, yeah. And I remember, gosh, I remember, you know, most people are old enough to remember 9-11 and I was watching and watching and watching. I get to the point here now as well. And at some point it's like, I have to stop watching this. And I remember, I mean, at least where I, part of where I am in DC, 
September 11th was one of the most spectacularly beautiful autumn days. You know, I, I mean, it just, it was bluebird sky and, and bright and crisp. And one of the darkest days in America, one of the most beautiful days, at least in my neighborhood. I'm like, you know, I'm going to go for a walk. And my wife and I went walk and walk because you can, if you, again, if you have this inflow of stuff, if you don't do things to get it out, it's pretty hard not to have it overwhelm you. Yeah, yeah. You know, I read the papers every day to know what's going on, but I can read the description of war and know how bad it is and, and think about what I need to do to help. I don't have to see the images of it to know how bad it is and to think about how I want to help. Yeah. And I think to, to, to Ned, just in relation to parents, you know, I, I think about, we got to this idea of how important a sense of control is in part to the work of, of Stephen Mayer. You know, and, 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 you know, classic study, rat A and rat B in a plexiglass cage with, with, with their tails outside the cage and a little electrode on it and a wheel inside the cage. And rat A gets shocked, doesn't like it, turns, turns the wheel, shock stops. Rat B gets shocked, turns the wheel, nothing happens uh, until rat A turns his boat. And rat A has this experience of, of something stressful happening. And when you're under stress and your prefrontal cortex activates, it dampens down your stress response. If you think about it, you've been in a situation that has been very challenging. You're coping with it. It's not that stressful. What's really stressful is when you start to feel, oh my God, I, what, what I'm supposed to do here. You start to feel helpless or overwhelmed. Yeah, That's yeah. what's really stressful because coping is not particularly stressful. So you'd have low stress hormones, turn in that wheel. And then even after several times, even when you disconnected the wheel, you turn that wheel and he still wasn't very stressed, just the prefrontal cortex dampening down the stress response. And in many ways, we want kids to have enough experience of stressful things happening and being able to activate their prefrontal cortex so they go into coping mode. And ideally, if, if we if we move, choose to move in this direction of the non-anxious presence, we're going to increasingly be able to go into coping mode when stressful yeah. things happen and condition our brain to go there as opposed to major avoidance or panicking or freaking out under stress and feeling helpless. If we want that for our kids, we can both model it. And also, from, from the very early animal studies in, that done in the 1950s, we know that if, a, if a kid, something stressful happens to a kid and the parent's watching, the kid turns and looks to see how the parent reacts. Mm -hmm. If the parent's reacting, he says, you got this, honey. You know, that it's a very different than pa panics to panics. Right, 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 right. It's more, much more likely to cry. You know, again, it's not that we, we should never feel anxious. It's not that we should never worry. It's not that we should never feel sorrow or grief. It's, it's good for kids to see these emotions. It's also good for kids to get the message that even though it's painful, I know I can handle it, that I know you can too. Even though it's really hard, we express empathy. You know, the space program, Supported Parenting of Anxious Childhood Emotions program, mm -hmm. a brilliant program out of Yale, that treats childhood anxiety and OCD just working with parents. The first thing parents are taught to do is make supportive statements, which, which is empathy, I know that this is really this is really sad. It's just really scary. We're really be really nervous about this, and yet I'm 100 percent confident you can handle it. I've been in stressful situations. This is really hard, and I know I can handle it. I know you can too. I imagine that that depending for folks who are listening, depending on how old your kids are, and they see this thing, they talk about whatever, and and it's easy for you. For many people, may find themselves at a loss of what what do I say, right? And so when a kid is upset about, you know, Israel or anything else, it can be really easy to fall into something like, you know, well, it'll all be okay. Well, we, we don't necessarily know that. 
And, and I, I don't like to, I don't like to say things I know to be true. And that can also unintentionally kind of sweep aside the feelings. Like let's, and we're, we're done with, we're done with the hard feelings. To go back to what you just said, Bill, of the validation, like, oh my goodness, sweetie, this is really scary. This is hard stuff, huh? And then the validation, you know, you know, this is hard for me too. But, you know, I think that we're brave people and I think we're going to find a way to, to handle this, you know. And so by validating, you recognize that, yeah, this is a lot, particularly for a kid who's, you know, doesn't have the experience that you as a parent have, and to emphasize the confidence that you can handle this. So because it's this message of courage isn't the lack of fear, right? It's being fearful and saying, I'm going to be able to get through this. Like, you know, rather, this is terrible. And I can handle this. I don't like yeah. it at all. These are, I don't like how this feels. I don't like being upset. Yeah. I don't like, yeah. I don't like, I don't like. Miss Peregrine's School for Peculiar Children. The pro- protagonist was upset that he had failed to, you know, he, he thought it was his job to protect his friends and he wasn't able to do it. And he was feeling so bad and I couldn't, I couldn't keep you safe. And his friend turned to him and, and said something like, you don't need to make us feel safe. You did something so much more important because you made us feel brave. And it's a tricky thing, right? Because, you know, we as parents are wired to protect and soothe our kids and we want them to be, we want them to be safe, right? What's curious in this situation, if we're here and we're not, you know, in the middle of a war zone, they are safe, but they can learn to be brave even by sitting with and, and not having to sweep aside. We, you know, we certainly don't want to have toxic positivity and say, you know, it's no big deal. Let's just go watch Mickey Mouse, right? To say, this is, yeah, this is really hard stuff. And we're a family that can handle, you know, I've learned to handle hard feelings. Yeah. In our second book, you know, we talk about the, the challenges faced of uh, people of color and, and, and people living in communities that aren't as safe. Mm-hmm. How do you balance, you know, commuting to your kid, then you got, you got to keep yourself safe without making the kid overly anxious. So um, how, how do you do that? What I would say is, is, is part of that is making home feel like the safe base. Yeah, yeah, I was lecturing at a local school about what he's saying at the, at the end of the signing books. And this mom came up to me, she was an African-American woman. And she said, I bought this self-driven child during the summer of 2020, which remember height of COVID, right? George Floyd, Black Lives Matter, I mean, everything. And she looked me in the eye and she said, she said, I bought that book in 2020 when it felt like America was hunting people who would look like my kid, yeah, 14 year old. And she said, but I determined that I was going to make home feel like a safe base. Yeah. And it completely changed my relationship with my kid. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean, you're, you're, it's, a, it's such a good point, Bill. I mean, what I experience is what I experience and what someone else experiences what they experience. But we can go up because we know that the, the recipe for developed resilience, right, is difficulty, adversity plus support, adversity plus coping. If we can make home feel like the safe base, apart by our being a non-anxious presence, it's a place where kids can have stress recovery after stressful things, whether that's school or friends or even yeah. things that they're watching on today's. Yeah. The psychiatrist at Columbia University um, has another formula for resilience, mm. and it's stress plus rest. The recovery piece, I, I think, which is, which is the, the sleep and the meditation piece. And certainly, when, when, when really stressful things happen, it is harder to sleep. Mm-hmm. It's where it's nice to have a secondary way to, to calm your mind. You know, and uh, 
many people, they sleep better if they exercise a lot. Just even laying restful in. But I think prioritize is remembering how important it is when the stressful things are happening for ourselves and for our kids is, is to take care of ourselves and model self-care. And what I keep thinking about is even if your kids aren't or people around you aren't picking that up right now, simply doing those things for yourself, you can be a stress sponge to other people. You know, and it's just, it's not always intuitive that one of the ways that you can help other people is simply being less stressed yourself. Yeah. My brother was, there's a story in the book was, uh, again, it's a paramedic. And so paramedics, of folks don't know, tend to be frontline workers and get things when it's really kind of wild and woolly and then bring them, you know, try to get them stabilized and get them to the hospital where they can do more advanced treatment. And so he followed a patient into the ER and was there with a bunch of, you know, the folks in the ER, nurses and the ER doctors. And one of these people at the end of him turned to him and said, thank you so much for being here. Your composure made it so much easier for us to do our work. Yeah. Yeah. In both our books, we talk about a low sense of control being the most stressful thing you experience. And so when things feel, we talked a lot about this during COVID, you know, when, mm-hmm. when things feel really threatening. You know, the, what makes Neff's life stressful is nuts. You know, it's novelty, unpredictability, perceived threat, and a low sense of control. And in, in COVID, I mean, you just check, check all four boxes. Right. And so what, what, right. Do, what do you recommend people do in part? Focus on what you can control. Right, right. It partly is you control when I worry. Well, what are my worry times? How much I worry? We can choose to exercise or not. But I'll, I'll mention that I read a study um, in Germany recently, I've been studying during the pandemic, and the title of the study was It's All About Control. And it was a study of, of the effects of exercise on the mood of young adults. And not surprisingly, exercise had a lot better mood, a lot better positive, more po- positive mental health mm-hmm. than the adults who didn't. Their active ingredient was increased their sense of control. They could do something. You're just remembering that, that it's not necessarily something stressful happens that we feel overly anxious when we something stressful happens and we don't know what to do. Right. You know, that your work at times is, is stressful, as, as is mine. I mean, I deal with a lot of really very distressed people. But because I, I, I've done this a long time and I usually you know, have some idea what to do, I don't feel stressed by it. Mm. You know, yeah. I just, I just spent an hour of people trying try to cope with it. You just, how do we cope here? What can we do? Yeah. And I'll add to that, of course, making sleep a priority. And we talked about this, but I'll emphasize it again. That if we think about so often when we're tossing and turning late at night and, you know, anxiously, feverishly trying to think these things through. And if we get a good night's sleep, we wake up the next day and we feel better. And it's not that the problems have changed. It's simply that with a more rest brain, we've increased the sense that I can handle what life has chosen to throw at me right now. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and, and, and when we're less anxious, it's easier to let kids solve their own problems. Because, because we're mammals, we're wired to protect our young and to soothe them. And yet the way they become, and we, we have to do that when they're little. And as they get older, if we continue to all the protecting and the suiting, we weaken them because they don't develop that, that, that coping brain. They don't develop the confidence. When you go into a stressful situation and not be overly stressed by it, 
is, is, is you, you know, I've been in situations like I've been, I can handle stressful situations. When we're calmer, it's easier to remember, not, not just to jump in and try to solve problems. In part, because jumping in solves new child's problems makes us feel less stressed because we're doing something. Mm-hmm. And yet, what's most important for our kids is that we express confidence that they can handle it, not try to jump in. Because you're going to say, is there a way that I could help? Right. What can you think to do that might make this better? Well, we're less anxious and we're less reactive. Well, for folks who are listening and all of us with our attention turned towards the Middle East and the hard times there, if you have friends there, if you have family there, we can only wish the best of outcomes there and the peace comes back to that part of the world, which too often feels like it doesn't have enough of that. In the meantime, I hope that you can be a non-anxious presence or move in that direction because whatever your connection, intense or distant, it helps you and everybody that you know to move in the direction of being a non-anxious presence. Bill, thanks for joining me. Yeah. I'm Ned Johnson, the host of the Self-Driven Child Podcast. Thanks for listening. Hey folks, Ned here. Over the past 25 years, I've talked with thousands of parents of high school students, parents who care deeply about their kids' education and how they deal with stress and the pressure to succeed. But these parents need to work with a team they trust won't just pile on more pressure to achieve better grades and scores. This is why I started Prep Matters in 1997, to create a different kind of experience for test preparation, tutoring, and college admissions planning. This podcast and my books reflect our company's philosophy and approach to helping students. If you have a high school student and would like to talk about putting in place a plan, please get in touch with us. Visit our website at prepmatters.com or call 301-951-0350. That's 301-951-0350. Thanks.